I know this is going to seem like a dumb question, but do you have rats in North Carolina? Not that I've seen, but I, I imagine so. Okay, I don't really know. I don't know what like the rat territory is, but I do know they are in the Pacific Northwest, and some RVs fall victim to rats. It's like disastrous. Are these the culprits for the footprints on your suspension? No, that I think was a raccoon. But oh. see, it's got, but I'm thinking like critters are a problem, you know, here in the Pacific Northwest. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I ordered a suite of these really high-powered outdoor noisemakers that just, they're hypersonic frequencies, but I think they kind of sound like birds to the critters, like bird, hungry birds. And they flash lights and all this kind of stuff. But they're just so loud that they, I think they also bother Levi. And so I thought, here's what I'm going to do. There's a home assistant solution for this. <laughs> I, got, I got myself a series of outdoor Z-Wave smart plugs and a couple of indoor ones. I'll have links in the show notes. And I set these up so that when we leave, the noisemakers automatically turn on. And then when we arrive back, they automatically turn off. And that way we don't worry about bothering our dog, Levi. And, you know, I'm not getting blasted myself with ultrasonic noise, I guess. <laughs> That's great. I mean, I, I remember as a teenager, they used to play in the shopping center near me. I suppose you call them a mall here, don't you? The shopping mall. Uh, they used to have these high pitched kind of things that used to go then back up and down. And I, to this day, I think I I've, I've, can still hear quite a lot of high frequencies considering how odd I am. They just drive me crazy. There's a house across the road that has one for the deer that run through our neighborhood. Oh, yeah? You oh. can get them for deer, huh? <laughs> yeah. I mean, wow. I assume that's what it's for. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen them for deer on the front of cars. Yeah, I can feel like a, like a real weird pressure on my ears, but mm-hmm. I don't hear anything. But then it has like this test mode that puts it into human hearing, and it is, it's loud. It's you bad. can hear it. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought, okay. Let's just uh, turn those suckers off, but I don't want to remember. I don't want to have to, you know, think about it. I want to just be sitting, I will be home and have Levi get a headache all of a sudden. So I thought, let's do it based on location. Why keep a dog and bark yourself? <laughs> so far, so good. Absolutely. Now, should we talk about the hoopla with Spotify this week and Neil Young? I think this is a fascinating topic. Well, there is a self-hosting angle, I think. At least that's where my mind went immediately. Yes. If you have these tracks yourself, they can't pull them from your library. I mean, that's the first obvious statement. But I think it's bigger than that even. That's just it with, with streaming in general. And I, I suppose we'll get to the specifics of uh, how we're handling this in a minute. But you know, the, my general issue with streaming services is that, you know, we've seen it with time and time again with Netflix and now with Spotify and countless other services where there is a catalog of content, you know, whether it's Friends, whether it's Neil Young, uh, that is there one day and gone the next. In fact, there are entire websites dedicated to what's going off of Netflix this month. Now, the story that we're talking about here is Neil Young, obviously a very famous, hugely famous artist in the music world, issued Spotify an ultimatum over Joe Rogan. Which always seemed like a risky move as soon as I saw that, because you got to figure Spotify gets a few thousand plays off of Neil, but gets millions. And and Joe Rogan not only drives millions of listens, but Joe Rogan is like the linchpin of their entire podcast advertising business. He is their strategy now. Now, I don't recall how much they paid for his show, but it was something stupid, like $100 million or something ridiculous like that. Uh, and it's it's worse than that, actually, if you think about it. Um, Neil Young, a, a stream of music, it doesn't matter if it's Neil or the Foo Fighters or, I don't know, 
Lady Gaga, whoever it is, a stream of a song costs Spotify a fraction of a penny per stream, right? A stream or a listen of a podcast episode generates revenue. So who is Spotify incentivized to A, side with, and B, promote, you know? Yeah, and it really underscores this issue of not your library, it's theirs. And what you get access to is subject to change. That drives me crazy. But you're also just sort of a victim of these big corporate games that are getting played. Right. It's at the end of the day, they don't care about the customers at all. It's it's ego fighting ego. It's company fighting company. And we're just kind of left in between or like another example of this, which just drives me crazy. You see something like uh, Paramount decides they want to launch their own streaming service. So now there's no longer going to be Star Trek on Netflix, even though having Star Trek on Netflix long term is better for the franchise because it means more people discover and binge Star Trek. They want to have exclusives. They want to have stuff just on their platform. And so they're pulling it off of Netflix now. And I, I say this, not even kidding. I signed up for Netflix for Star Trek back in the day when it was DVDs. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I wasn't customer number one, but I may have been like customer number 100. Like I was really early into Netflix as soon as they went public because I wanted to get Star Trek on DVD because I had this aging VHS collection. <laughs> I mean, I signed up for Spotify the very first time when I was doing my music undergraduate degree. So that would have been oh yeah, 2008, nine, something like that. Uh, because they had a fantastic classical music library. And as a music student, that was obviously very important to me at the time. Sure, sure. Uh, uh, music's been a huge part of my life anyway. For, for those that don't know, I play several instruments, drums, guitar, uh, euphonium, which is another one that I play, which most people probably don't know what it is, but it's a brass mm. instrument, like a tuba. Sounds like we need to get some uh, sound hits for the shows. Let's get going. There is actually a very embarrassing video on YouTube of me playing the euphonium from that time period, (laughs) which if you look hard enough, I'm sure you'll find. There will not be a link to it in the show notes because it's very embarrassing. But anyway, my point is, is I've been a subscriber now, Spotify, for a decade plus. You know, uh, so what is it? £10 a month, $15 a month. I don't know. I'm part of the family plan now. Uh, So, you know, over 10 years, I've spent, a thousand ish maybe a bit more maybe a bit less with spotify and i think this has really got me questioning whether i continue to give spotify specifically my money i'm a little annoyed that this is what's getting people to unsubscribe i like i unsubscribed at the end of last year um because what they're trying to do to podcasting would forever change this industry what they want to do uh, is they want to bring everyone onto their platform and kind of create exclusive content that they can insert dynamic ads. And they're okay if you distribute it on a feed too, in some cases, but a really super abbreviated version of this story, because I've told it before on air, is right after JB went independent again, I got an email from uh, someone at Anchor. Anchor is owned by Spotify. It's part of their podcasting arm. Offering me to bring the JB network exclusively to Spotify. They would sell ads. They would take over all the ad deals and do digital inserts. They were saying it was essentially going to be a 70% pay cut in ads, but every show would be sold and they would insert them dynamically. And to sweeten the deal, if I went exclusive, they were going to let me play any, any song in the Spotify library in the shows. So all of our shows would have access to the entire 
Spotify library, which was the one part of the email where I went, whoa, like you could create entire new kinds of podcasts if you had access to that commercial library. That is a pretty cool hook. And I'm not the only one they were sending that that to. I was one of I was part of a net that they were casting. And uh, the whole thing was based around their whole, well, like, you're, we're just going to take over the ads and we just cut them in. Like they would just they, they have a little thing that just waits for like, you know, half a second of silence <laughs> right in the middle of a sentence. And then it just cuts in an ad. And if it's on an open feed, then you can't you don't get to access the uh, Spotify music library. At least that was the terms that were given to me. And that's their goal. Right. They want to they want to be the YouTube or Netflix of podcasting. And so that's why I ultimately unsubscribed. And that's why I've begun promoting the podcast index at podcastindex.org and podcasting 2.0. And the new podcasts, apps.com, and value for value lightning payments to the, to the shows via these apps because we have to embrace decentralized solutions that you can host yourself in the podcast industry. Like as podcasters that are technically capable of it, it's something I've had to double down on. And that's why I canceled Spotify because they're trying to wreck an industry. But I am glad to see more people realizing that they have issues. We didn't actually cover the reason why Neil issued an ultimatum, which was. In his opinion, uh, Joe Rogan was spreading COVID misinformation, um, anti-vax stuff, you know, stuff like that. Uh, and so for me, as a triple-vaxxed guy, I just think, come on, I, I, how are we not past this kind of nonsense yet? Just yeah, do the right thing for society, you know? I also, um, you know, I also can't imagine, but I mean, I imagine it does happen. People aren't seriously taking medical advice from Joe Rogan, but I imagine it does I bet you'd be surprised. Yeah. Um, so that whole thing, you know, in this, it, it could be a Joe Rogan thing. I mean, it, it really, fast forward five years, there will be some other big thing that's like this huge existential crisis that all of us are freaking out about. And, you know, Spotify, again, could make a decision where it's once again screwing the customers in some way. Like there wasn't really a great scenario here for them. They couldn't get rid of Joe. You know, so there wasn't a great scenario. No. But it just highlights this core issue that I think this show can address so well. And I think the music one is one that we should probably readdress because we've each kind of changed our, or at least evolved our thoughts on it a little bit. Yeah. So I haven't pirated. In fact, I haven't mentioned piracy on this show at all, uh, very, very deliberately, because I think it's an angle of self-hosting that is very well covered elsewhere. And I, I really don't want to get into it on this show. But I think times like this kind of highlight the importance of owning or having your own stuff truly the importance of having a local copy that nobody can delete from your hard drive or, or whatever it is, if you actually care about it, I suppose. And so what I've done is I've um, been using a tool called LiDAR recently, and I haven't been pirating music in the traditional sense. So I, I've still been paying some money. So I found a plugin called Automatic Music Downloader. There'll be a link in the show notes, which is a script which plugs into LiDAR but it also plugs into something called Deezer, which is a competitor to Apple Music and Spotify. And Deezer Hi-Fi is a $15 a month subscription for lossless audio. And so for me as a music nerd, audiophile, self-confessed, you know, I have some lovely floor standing speakers and expensive headphones, all the rest of it. I like lossless audio. I can hear the difference. I've done A-B testing. I, I just I like it. Okay. And so for me, I want to be able to have a local copy of all that music that I listen to pretty much the same stuff over and over again on Spotify anyway, locally. 
And so for me, this walks, this whole setup walks a fine line between piracy and kind of not. I mean, I'm sure it's against their terms of service to do this, but I'm still paying money to Deezer. And therefore, I assume that each download counts as a play. So the artist still gets some recognition as well. Um, so what do you think on that? Man, I think this, I think you've really hit the sweet spot, you know, because you want something that's going to tie in with whatever management system you've chosen to use, right? Like anything else you bought would be an app with a store that's integrated. You want something that's almost like music as a service via an API. And that's mm -hmm. kind of basically what you've built here. Oh man, this is great. I think if I could pay a dollar an album or maybe even, maybe even a bit more, to be honest with you. And there was a service that integrated just as well with all of my automation for media collection. Uh, I'd probably pay it. And so for me at the moment, anyway, this that price is $15 a month to do it semi-legally. So, you know, the ethics of the whole situation are a little questionable. But for me, I, I'm comfortable with making that, that kind of concession. What this doesn't solve, though, is the front end. And we talked a little bit a few episodes ago about Plexamp when it came out. I think it was about a year ago. And I have been using the crap out of Plexamp for the last month or so. It is fantastic. They've done loads of little updates. And uh, I've got to say, you know, I, I'm not really missing Spotify at all. Yeah, you got to see this app. We'll have a link in the show notes. You got to see this. They've also released, I don't know if we've covered this on the show, but they've released a Linux app image. So you can actually use it on the Linux desktop, Mac. Windows, Android, iOS. It's so great. And I'm happy to report that I've tested the offline playback, which is a huge feature for me. I love that. Uh, so yeah, okay. I'm, I'm seeing this. This is like a whole new world coming together for me. Uh, you're opening my eyes, Alex. I'm seeing a new world. I mean, it does rely on Plex, which I'm sure most people listening to this podcast have access to a Plex server somewhere. But the thing I really like about Plexamp is it has this whole kind of concept, I guess, that they borrowed from the Spotify ethos of the related artists, the recommended mixes, recent playlists, all that kind of stuff. So the more you use it, the more tailored the recommendations get to what you're sort of in the mood for that week. And I really like that about it. I have tried the uh, Finamp, which is a Jellyfin music player, kind of in the spirit of Plexamp. Not as good. No, of course not. But it's open source. It is an F-Droid as well. You can just get the APK and it works. You know, so if you want to use Jellyfin as your backend server, you totally can. It's just not quite the same experience, but I'll toss a link in the show notes. Linode.com slash SSH. Go there to get $100 in 60-day credit and you go there to support the show. Linode is how we host everything up in the cloud and some jobs just work better up in the cloud. And if you're thinking maybe it's time to try out NextCloud, I highly recommend it. We've been using Nextcloud on Linode for over two years with their object storage as our back end. Now, Linode themselves, they started in 2003, one of the very first companies in cloud computing. And now, 18 years later, Linode is the largest independent open cloud provider in the world with 11 global data centers serving nearly a million customers and businesses around the globe. But Linode's remained focused. They've stayed competitive, and they've made cloud computing simple, affordable, and accessible to all. It really is the best-in-class experience, performance-wise, options-wise, and when it matters, you're really going to appreciate the customer support. Linode's rolled out Rocky and Alma Linux images, if you've been wanting to give those a go, as well as CentOS Stream. They have one-click deployments of NextCloud and things like that, if you want to use that. And of course, they have an S3-compatible object storage that I rave about all the time. So you could always deploy something on there and just let it grow. And then you'll really appreciate things like their nice dashboard that gives you a heads-up on your system's performance, what's been going on sensible alerting that's just set up 
and available by default, a powerful DNS manager, Kubernetes, and Terraform support. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Not to mention the NVMe PCIe storage they're rolling out right now and pricing 30 to 50% cheaper than the major hyperscalers that have complicated platforms and they just want to lock you in. But maybe the best part, you can support the show. Linode.com slash SSH. Go there, get $100 and 60-day credit on a new Linode account, and you go there to support the show. Linode.com slash SSH. All right, so some other hoo-ha this week is that Google have announced that they're going to shut down free G Suite accounts unless you start giving them some greenbacks. Boy, did it kind of like touch a nerve with our audience. And I mean, obviously not everybody, but we got a lot of upset people that wrote into the show. People are hitting me up on Telegram. Angry. We got lots of email about this. So on Wednesday, Google announced that it's getting rid of their G Suite Legacy Free Edition, which allowed those that snuck in before 2012 to get free Google app services tied to a custom domain rather than a Gmail address. So that would mean that for a lot of our listeners who are generally more tech savvy, early adopter type people who have their finger on the pulse, that could mean that they're losing years worth of purchases tied to that Google Play account, potentially in the hundreds or thousands of dollar range, but also friends and family members who they've signed up for these services as well with their at customdomain.com email addresses are suddenly going to have to start paying a minimum of, I think, $6 a month for this thing. Yeah, and imagine you sign into your Android phone with that ID. It's your everything. It's your contacts, your calendar. It's everything. And yeah, those Play Store purchases as well. And it almost seems like Google was unprepared for people to be upset by this. But that seems scientifically impossible because you think Google as an organization would be aware when you give people something for free and then you take that free thing away, people get upset. That happens 100% of the time. That's math. (laughs) So they had to know. But their response uh, after the fact, which I think was just a couple hours ago as we're recording, it almost seemed to imply like they were completely caught off guard. I mean, if you're a PR person, that's the easy route to take, isn't it? There's a bit of a story to this this week. So they announced it a few days ago that they're going to do this shutdown. Then there were some news articles came out about how they might be facing a class action lawsuit from several users. And then, as Chris says, you know, a few hours ago, they have relented to the pressure. There's an article on Ask Technica, which there's a link to in the show notes, where they say that Google is launching a survey of affected G Suite users. The company is surprised by how many people this change affected. What? Like they didn't have metrics? Google's what? supposed to be the data company. I'm sorry. That's that's bullshit. <laughs> you tell me they didn't check active users before they made this announcement. I'm not buying it. Yeah, I'm I'm calling uh I'm calling BS on that. But they have announced a couple of extra nice things uh, as a result of kind of capitulating to this uh, this upswell, this uprising of nerd rage. Uh, they're promising a data migration option, which will include your Google Play content purchases. Uh, that's really what they got to do. I mean, you're going to have an at Gmail address now. So you're going to have a dirty peasant email address, I suppose. <laughs> but I think it's important for the longevity of people buying digital content. I think a lot of people kind of suck it and see with DRM without fully exploring the ramifications of what would happen if Google did exactly this. Yeah, you're out of luck, mate. You know, that's it. The 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 money you spent on that thing was just a rental, really. A long-term rental, sure, but you don't own it. That's true. Every time something like this happens, a group of people kind of come to a new realization about the arrangement they find themselves in. <laughs> Just like Spotify, you know, I've yeah. got access to every song in my pocket, 
for the duration that my dollar gives me access to that library or for the duration that that particular artist likes Spotify. You know, it's yeah. um yeah. It's never been a better time to self-host or something, right? Reflecting on our summer de-Google challenge, I just kind of have been coming to like maybe a new kind of arrangement. You take your your data valuable stuff like your email, your contacts, your photos, you put those somewhere else. So perhaps you use something like ProtonMail or FastMail or you self-host the email and you use Prism for the for the pictures. But you still have a lot of Google services like YouTube and uh, Maps, obviously, and the Play Store. I think you still want a burner Gmail account, but why not a new one? Why not a new Gmail account with very little details in it, right? And then you self-host with a combination of like things like Nextcloud. You self-host all the other stuff. And kind of, you know, it's not it's not like a binary, no Google at all kind of. It's like this limited risk exposure approach to Google. I mean, F-Droid is quite good. You can go quite deep with Lineage OS and F-Droid to replace Android properly, you know, without some of the, the more sneaky Google Play services that are in there. Uh, in fact, I've got a, a friend who is looking to switch to iOS but he's very happy with his Android hardware and doesn't want to actually throw the phone in the bin. Uh, but he doesn't want it to be tracking him quite so much either. And so he's actually going that route of Lineage OS and F-Droid and going to see how long he can stick it. Just de-Googled, de no micro G, nothing. Good for him. It's, it's, I think it's a good thing to try and figure out if you can do it or where your line is. I think more and more about Gmail and just what a brilliant, brilliant move that was. Because if you really use Gmail as your default inbox, which so many people did because it was just the most amount of storage you could get back in the day for free. But as a result, Google knows everything I buy because all my receipts get sent to my inbox. So they literally, even, even things that are way outside the Google ecosystem, they know, you know, they know what I buy. And that is it's gross. And it makes me more and more think about maybe it is worth considering self-hosting email. Uh, it's just fraught with issues, but or something like Proton Mail. But yeah, anyways, that's just I find that to be really gross. And so if you can just maybe create a limited risk exposure to Google, that's the way to go. I feel like because they're just always going to be expanding their data mining. I'm just looking for the episode on two and a half admins i think it's episode 72 email cartel <laughs> joe jim and alan have a really great discussion about i think jim's in the camp of uh microsoft and google are the only options mm -hmm. uh, because they're the big boys and if they don't work then it's not your problem it's google's problem or it's microsoft's problem uh, anyway it's a fascinating discussion i won't spoil it too much here 2.5 admins.com episode 72 that's a great discussion Public safety announcement time. Let's Encrypt are going to be revoking a ton of SSL certificates in the next few days. As we record, uh, it should be probably over the weekend or by the end of this week. I think pretty much as this episode airs, uh, so you haven't got long if you're listening to this. Uh, you should just be able to, if you're using something like Caddy or Traffic or some automatic cert bot based system to generate your TLS certificates, just reboot that container and it should work out that those certificates are going to expire. Worst case is that you're going to log into your thing and see that this is unsafe message and then you can restart your reverse proxy and it should just renew everything. For more details on that, we'll have a link in the show notes. 
tailscale.com slash self-hosted. Go there to get a free personal account for up to 20 devices, and you support the show by signing up for Tailscale, which is our favorite zero-config VPN solution. It installs on any device in minutes. You can manage firewall rules. It works from anywhere. You create a beautiful VPN flat network for yourself. Load it up on a smartphone or a tablet and get access to your devices while you're on the go, even when separated by firewalls, subnets, and I can attest even the dreaded double net, Tailscale will prevail them all. I mean, I really am so excited about this technology that I'm just elated to have the opportunity to actually have them as a sponsor. You got to try it out. It'll change your game. I've been running on everything from my Arch86 servers, my new tumbleweed boxes. I have Raspberry Pis with Raspbian and Ubuntu. All of it. It all works. They have an install for all of it. It's quick. It supports your single sign-on system, and that includes two-factor authentication. Under the hood, they're using WireGuard's noise protocol for encryption. So you get the tech of WireGuard that you love with the flat mesh VPN network that Tailscale brings on top of that. My Tailscale VPNs are always on. They interconnect my systems and every OS I use. I even use it with my family, like my kids. Their machines all have Tailscale installed as well, so I can SSH into their boxes. It's solved so many problems for myself. And it's just a unique opportunity to have them as a sponsor. So I want you to go try it. Try it for 20 devices for free. And you support the show. It's tailscale.com slash self-hosted. All one word, self-hosted. You go sign up. You get the 20 devices for free. You support the show. And you're doing like awesome mesh network with WireGuard stuff. It's the best. Go try it out today. Tailscale.com slash self-hosted. Now, long-time listeners of the show will know that I've been hosting a server at my dad's house for many years since I emigrated three-plus at this point. He's moving house, and that doesn't sound like a big deal. People move house all the time, except for the fact he's moving from somewhere with cable internet, 300 down, 30 up style internet, to somewhere with two meg down DSL and barely half a meg up. Has he not thought about how this is going to affect you? No, he hasn't. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm going to have to rethink my entire iPlayer strategy, man. Not only that, but your entire backup strategy. Like, this is huge, man. Yeah, potentially. So we're looking at a few options for him. EE, who are a carrier in the UK, a cell phone, mobile phone provider in the UK, they offer a home internet package, uh, which straddles the 5G, 4G spectrums. And I think it's about £50 a month, so it's quite affordable for unlimited data. Unlimited in air quotes, probably. Jeez, that sounds pretty good, though. Yeah, so my mother-in-law actually lives in rural Norfolk, and we recorded a podcast over a 4G um, mobile broadband, because she had a similar DSL situation where she was getting, you know, a meg or two either way, which re really, you know, in, in this day and age is, is no good. So she's been using this service from EE for a few years, and it, it works extremely well. They put an antenna on the roof. It points directly at the mast. It's a few miles away. It's a house. It doesn't move. Right. And it's fine. The downside is you have bandwidth quotas. Uh, on the 4G plans, it's a few hundred gig. I think she has 200 gig to go with, but she's a single you know, widow, so she doesn't use a huge amount of data. But the 5G plan has that unlimited tier, which I found really interesting. So the spectrum, obviously, of 5G, either they want to get people hooked into 5G now and they're offering that carrot to dangle people in, or the spectrum just actually permits that kind of usage. I don't know. It'd be interesting to 
to find out. Now, what I wanted to ask you about is I know you've put an absolute metric ass ton of time into figuring out multi-WAN connections. And my dad's looking at Starlink, obviously, but there's a big wait time for that. And so in the meantime, what we're thinking of doing is getting a couple of different providers to kind of figure out if that would improve his situation. Is there, Hmm. you know, what should he be looking at for these kind of mobile internet type on on the on the server side anyway not not necessarily the carrier stuff yeah yeah i'll tell you i think probably the number one important thing is the antenna on the roof outside of the building that makes such a huge difference and then the other thing to kind of look for is you have different categories of modems and antennas so you have like a cat 12 modem and a cat 16 modem and essentially the the bigger the number the faster it is, the more connections it can do to the tower, that kind of stuff. So that's what you want, right? Is you want an antenna and you want a LTE device, like a like a router or, or a MiFi device that can take advantage of that. And so that's what I had to end up doing is I got um I got I got something from a company called uh Pepwave or it's a Peplink. I'm sorry. I yeah, it's Pepwave is the anyways. It, and uh this is built for from uh you know a, a mobile setup but they have setups for residents and buildings as well and um they have with that a VPN service that does a bonded connection and you can do this on your own if you're really good um Wes and I did build one on a raspberry pi and tested it for a bit and it worked and we did uh we bonded two connections out to linode and it worked but the thing about uh, the vendor solution is it works in conjunction with software on the router. It's aware of packet loss. It is very intelligent about what it sends over which VPN and which connection. And it overall just does a better job managing it. Um, so you can kind of stack this stuff. So, the you know, tier one, antenna and a modem. And then tier two is what you bring that into. Um, is it is it coming into just a little crappy MiFi box? It's then doing Wi-Fi right there off that box because you're going to have a really limited Wi-Fi setup. So that's something that can happen is people can get a little MiFi device and then they go to use that. Well, those things suck when you get more than a couple of devices connected to them and their range is only a couple of hundred feet. So he's got this uh, Speedify article, which he found on Tech Radar UK. It sounds like it does a similar thing. It bonds a few connections together over a VPN. And uh, my initial reaction when he suggested that was, I remember... Back in my college days, I had a few cable modems that had some questionable firmware on them, and I ran those things uh, yeah. into a PFSense setup to get free internet <laughs> when I was a student. And I remember, you know, back then the internet was obviously a lot less sophisticated, but I just remember bouncing from one modem to the next and being logged out of websites all the time, and it was just super annoying. Is that kind of stuff still a problem today? Not with the right solution. That is getting better and better because the endpoint that you bond into, that's the connection that goes out to the website. So that IP doesn't change. But like with the Speedify setup, you know, what I don't like about it is they'll give you a couple of gigs for free. And then after that, you got to start paying. You know, you watch a Netflix movie, a single Netflix movie, maybe even half the Netflix movie before you've used up what you what you get for free. Well, I mean, the amount of videos I send him of his granddaughter. I mean, right. Well, and you're going to the trouble of paying 
for an unlimited LTE connection and then getting all of this hardware and then, you know, this kind of stuff. It just doesn't, to me, it doesn't make sense so much. I do, I do appreciate that it's more approachable. Uh, in the US, I'll link to some bundles people can get that just kind of bundles all the hardware and software together. It's a little trickier out there, but I think really what you, I, I'd start small and see what your dad's comfortable with. Like uh, you can even get MiFi devices that have small antennas that you can connect to them. And you can just mount the antenna to the window facing the cellular tower. And the, the little antenna has a section cup. It's a flat little antenna. And that can actually make a significant improvement because it's, um, what is it called, Alex? It's like the Richter scale where an improvement in, in dB in uh, cellular reception is like a significant improvement. So like a one dB increase is, is, is a significant increase in signal. Yeah, the log- logarithmic scale. That. And so even just getting up a couple of dBs can make a huge performance difference and latency mm-hmm. difference. And so just starting like with that, if you just got a MiFi and an antenna, like Netgear makes one, that mounts to the window, uh, he'd be all right. But even better, obviously, as you know, would be an antenna on the roof, maybe on a pole that's above the roof line. Yeah, that is the way to go. Uh, what I'm worried about with this EE solution in particular is they supply the modem. And mm. ISP provided modems are notoriously crappy. Yeah. And you can't run WireGuard on them, and you can't do a whole bunch of port forwarding stuff, which I find very useful when we're doing remote management. And if I have a backup server there, yeah, I'm a little bit worried about... Uh, Will it be one of those things where you could take the SIM card out and put it in a nicer piece of hardware? I need to do some more research. Now, if you're yeah. in the UK and you know the answer to that question, I would love to hear from you. Uh, if you've replaced the EE router with something else as well, I would love to know what you've replaced it with and how it works. Because ultimately, I would love to get to a situation where the WAN connection isn't really very important. You know, so that way, when Starlink does become available, we can just plug yeah my dad into the open sense that's running in the house, and it's just another WAN connection that we load balance or something like that. Um, so yeah, if you if you know the answer or if you've done anything similar, please get in touch at selfhosted.show/contact. Yeah, you have a little mini DV tape follow-up for people who don't recall. Alex ended up getting his hands on some DV tapes that he wanted to import, and you put the call out there for some hardware. But I guess it was a little more complicated than we remembered things being. It turns out 90s tech sucked worse than we remembered. <laughs> I have in my hands a Canon Vixia HV40. This thing, I have one I of those think... in the studio. If, if you don't want that, send it to me because mine died and I got to replace it. And then I could do video in the studio. I think this thing was the Rolls Royce of yeah. camcorders back in the day. It has an HDMI out on it. Yeah. Oh, I know. I used to have two of them, but now they <laughs> both slowly died on me. So I uh, met up with a, with a listener who actually lives 10 minutes from my house. Uh, he heard the episode last uh, a couple of weeks ago and messaged me and said, hey, Alex, I've got a mini DV camcorder. It's got an HDMI out. Do you want to go for coffee? And you can have it for a few weeks. And I was like, yeah, that sounds amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, so, you know, I met up with him, got got coffee, brought it home. What is? Wait a minute. What is he doing with this thing? He needs to sell it to me. That's this. Is, this is what needs to happen. <laughs> oh, we can. I'm sure you'll. I'm sure yeah. you'll hear this episode. <laughs> uh, so, very excitedly, I brought this thing home, got it unpacked, got it all set up, and put in one of the tapes, and it just said unsupported format. And I'm like, huh? And I was thinking maybe it was something to do with the because on mini DV tapes there's this long play and short play format, so you could take a 60 minute tape and make it into a 90 minute tape or something like that. SP and LP. That's it. Yeah. God. Tech 
15 years ago was just ridiculous, wasn't it? So bad. How did we make it work? And importing footage off those tapes meant you actually had to like play the tape back. You couldn't just copy the file. In real time. Yeah. (laughs) Now these days you just have an SD card, you just copy it off, it's fine, you know? (laughs) Yeah, and we complain about dongles these days. Give me a dongle any day. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was, you know, I had my HDMI capture device. I've got a USB, one of those just knocking around and I was like, right, this is going to be perfect. Unsupported format. Womp, womp. Turns out my tapes are in PAL format and this camera is an NTSC camera. Now I'm almost positive you could switch it to PAL though. Can't you? I don't think so. I've had a real good dig. Oh, okay. Well, if you, uh, Hmm. And I'd have to look again. Maybe we can walk through it on a FaceTime call or something because I couldn't find it. It says it on the box, though. That's the trouble. NTSC printed right on the box. Yeah, it might just be stuck. I can't remember. But the other thing, too, is the F, the Firewire port allows you to do a DV import, and that might not be... Well, either way, you're probably screwed. But that is a thing. You can import off the Firewire port, too. I'll play with mine after the show if I can get it to power up. I think it's totally dead, though. It's been, you know, it's been 100 years. So just one stupid little format issue. It's so dumb, too, that the U.S. was NTSC, you guys across the pond were PAL. I think PAL is maybe the superior tech too, but I don't recall. I think it was 50 hertz versus 60 hertz. I think that was the entire reason oh, it existed, okay. if I recall. And right. then they started using it to do region locking of like VHS tapes. And I remember yep. Xbox games back in the day. I think even 360 games were still region locked. <laughs> it sounds so silly now. I mean, we still have weird issues like that. But so now you've got... So, to make it harder is not only is you really need something that is very rare, a working mini DV player, but you need a PAL. I need a European one in America. Which, yeah. And the stupid thing is, these tapes were in Europe until my mum brought them for Christmas. Right. <laughs> you know, uh. I know that back in the day, they used to have just little mini DV players, like a VCR, that you'd put the little tape in and it would have a little HDMI out. They do exist. Uh, they're they're two three hundred dollars something like that on eBay. I think that's probably the route I'm going to have to end up going is buying one of these and then selling it on. So I'm effectively renting uh, it for myself. You got to figure those tapes won't last much longer. Yeah, I mean, there's only a dozen of them behind me, so it won't take too long. That's the annoying thing. It's not like I'm digitizing a hundred of the damn things. Like I I need a three hundred dollar doohickey to do it. No, it's just a. At this point, I'm kind of tempted to just pay the shop. Oh, you know. hmm. now, uh, have you thought about what you're going to do encoding wise? Are you going to bring these in as H.264? Do you use something else now? I'd like to try and use my new M1 Max and try and make the fans spin up and do some video encoding. <laughs> sure. Make that thing work. Earn its keep. <laughs> I agree with you. I still haven't heard the fans on this thing. I've had this laptop for, what, three months, two months now, and it's an absolute beast. It's a monster. And it, it takes a stupid amount of workload. And it doesn't even say it. It doesn't even make a noise. And I, I, I don't know, like maybe iStat menu needs to be updated because or, or it's I, I swear like it, it just doesn't seem like it matched what, what shows in the load. Just, it never seems right. It never seems like the system's ever maxed out. Yeah, I think there's a bunch of stuff with how they're doing. So we're used to computers that are general purpose and throw everything at the standard CPU cores. Just have main cores. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. I'm not sure that iStat is particularly good about how it visualizes like the neural cores. And, and you the, got the efficiency cores versus the f- faster cores and all that kind of yeah. stuff. But that's going to become a thing throughout you know, Intel cores too. And 
that's mm-hmm. going to be pretty cool when it does hit systems you can build a home server around because I, I'm all about that. Why have like all those little background tasks that are always running on your box hit those high power cores if they could run on the efficiency cores? We just need to make sure that like the Linux kernel and all that supports that, but that work is ongoing. I just wanted to mention super quick, although this is really super, really tight notice, depending on when you're listening to this, but if you're listening on January 28th, 2022, then just this Sunday, we have a hangout at the studio. It starts around 11 a.m. in the Pacific Northwest. We're uh, up in the Marysville area, so that'll give you an idea of where we're at. And uh, we're getting together on January 30th, 2022. It's a Sunday. And um, Alex will be flying in with his private jet and hanging out. Oh, yeah, sure. Signing uh, postcards. My reusable Falcon 9 rocket boosters as well. <laughs> it's really nice of him to let you play with that. You guys have really become the best of buds. Yep. You know? Yeah. Old Elon. <laughs> me, me and Elon, best buds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you guys you guys really bonded over 3D printing when he uh, came to that one meetup that we had. And uh, ever since. Talking of meetups, I'm actually considering hosting a small one in Raleigh uh, in the spring. We'll just, uh, I'll take my, my red egg somewhere, ceramic egg, and we'll cook out some meats in a, in a park somewhere and hang out for a few hours and meet some of you. Cause it, you know, I've found out, you know, this week through the mini DV feedback that there are tons of you on the East coast that are willing to, to meet up. So yeah, and we don't get to do many events out there. You know, East coast is, it's a far, far, far drive from Seattle. I would love to be able to get out there more often. Some daft stat like. 80% of the U.S. population lives within a two-hour flight of Atlanta. <laughs> Just to give crazy. you an idea of how populous the East Coast wow. is. I could see one day having, like, a, I would love to just have a little operation running out of, like, uh, Colorado or something like that, because that seems like a pretty good central place to visit from as well. Hmm, if only we mm-hmm. had some insiders in Colorado already, hmm. huh? Hmm. Maybe one day. You also, th- thank you to our insiders that support the show, our SREs. You guys make the show possible at selfhosted.show slash SRE. That membership gives you an ad-free version of the show and a post-show, a little extra self-hosted. You also get access to that if you become a member for the entire network. Jupiter.party if you want to support all of our productions. Get all our shows ad-free, including this one. And don't forget about future meetups. You might not be able to make it to the Pacific Northwest, but meetup.com slash Broadcasting is where you go. And uh, that's where we should do it, Alex. If you eventually launch one, we'll put it on there so people can go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting for uh, one on the East Coast or the West Coast. And then when I travel, it's happening. It's happening. happening. I want to go. I got FOMO already. And you haven't even made the event yet. So fire (laughs) up the dupes, you know? Let's go. Seriously. I think you probably got better weather than we do on average, at least. In the springtime. No kidding. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh. Oh, that sounds nice. That sounds really nice. Well, we'd love to get your feedback and links and all that kind of stuff to what we talked about today. It's all on our website. You can go there at selfhosted.show. Today's episode is selfhosted.show slash 63. And the contact page specifically is selfhosted.show slash contact. Thanks for listening, everybody. That was selfhosted.show slash 63.